Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We come to you in the name of the one who is our redeemer, the one who is our treasure, the one who is our reward, the one who is our delight. And Father, we ask that as we open your word this morning, you would help us to see that Jesus is enough. Help us to see that by losing our lives, we will find them in you. Help us to see that Jesus has done everything necessary to save us and to root our confidence in our identity in nothing except for him alone. So Father, will you speak to us this morning a word that will edify your church and glorify your name? Will you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. We open our hearts to receive it now. We ask all these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can find a seat. And uh, as you do find your seats this morning, uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. We'll look together this morning at verses 24 through 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, these verses will be on the screen. Uh, But also, if you don't own a Bible, we want you to know that we have some available in the back corner of this room as you leave today, black hardback Bibles that are on the table. If you do not own a Bible, we would love uh, for you just to take that today as our gift to you, no strings attached. And if you worship with us on a regular basis, we encourage you to carry that with you so that we can engage God's Word together as we uh, study and teach on a weekly basis. So Matthew 16, looking together this morning at verses 24 through 28. Well, this past week, unfortunately, this happens, tends to happen once or twice a year, and it's uh, common not just with me, but with other pastors as well. Uh, This past week, someone pretending to be me uh, generated a fake email address and was trying to contact different members of our congregation requesting money in the form of gift cards. And so, by the way, if you got that email, it wasn't me. Uh, please don't wire anything overseas. Uh, I don't have any bank accounts there, and, and we would never contact you directly anyway for, for money. And so uh, this happens, it tends to happen once or twice a year, and then I've got to be able to come out and say, hey, just so you're aware, this is happening. Please ignore it. Report it as spam. It, it's malicious. But, but even if you weren't totally sure it was me, there were three surefire ways from this particular email that you could have confidence it wasn't from me. The first is that it did not come from our official crosscommunity.org web domain. This was a fake generated email address, and you could see that it didn't come from our normal staff communication. The second way you could know that it was me is that the person was very specifically identifying themselves as lead pastor Taylor Burgess. And, and if you know me personally, you know I'm not really big on the whole Pastor Taylor, Brother Taylor, Reverend Taylor. I would really just appreciate everybody just calling me Taylor. I'm, I'm not so big on the titles, and this person was really big about the titles. But the third way you could absolutely know this was not from me, and honestly, the, 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 the purpose in this that was the most uh, offensive to me was that the person impersonating me had terrible grammar. And, and that, you know, the other things I can kind of forgive, but, but that the one is like, if you're going to impersonate me, you, you've got it hooked on phonics or something, man. Like, you need to, to get on with that, that train. And, and man, if identity theft is a felony, I think typos should at least be a misdemeanor. And, and so that was deeply offensive to me. Uh, someone impersonating me was using my name, and so I had to come out and communicate that this was a false identity. And apart from Jesus Christ, you and, all, you and I are at best an impersonation of who God created us to be. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are at best a fabrication and an impersonation of who it is God created you to be, who it is he created me to be. Sin is rebellion against God, and every single one of us, both by birth and participation, are guilty of sin. 
It's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against his perfection. It's rebellion against his righteous standard. And everything in this world, including our identity, has been corrupted and tainted by sin. Understand, because of sin, you and I are not born as naturally good people who just kind of need to get better. Because of sin, you and I are born as spiritually dead people who need to be made alive. And the work that Jesus does is to come and call us out of that dead state. Jesus comes to call us out of death, and he calls us into life through faith in his perfect life and death and resurrection. And that's exactly what we celebrate together today. Because Jesus Christ walked out of his grave, he has the power and the authority to call us out of ours. It was A.W. Tozer who once wrote, For all of God's true children, there will be another chapter. A chapter that will begin with the resurrection and go on as long as eternity endures. Friends, Christianity is the only true story where the introduction is death and the conclusion is life. The empty tomb is our ultimate reminder that there is absolutely nothing too difficult for God. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, Resurrection Sunday is our reminder that death does not get the final say. Through faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ has crushed the head of evil, and he stands victorious over the grave. So for all who believe in him, death is not the conclusion. Death is the introduction. Believing in Jesus Christ means for us that our final chapter is not termination. Our final chapter is resurrection. But in order for something to resurrect, first it has to die. In order for our true identities to be discovered, Jesus shows us that our old identities have to be destroyed. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. So so by anyone, Jesus meant anyone. He meant you, he meant me, he meant everyone who seeks to follow him, everyone who desires resurrection. If anyone would come after me, he said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For those who heard his words that day, taking up the cross meant only one thing. It meant that we or they were walking to their death. So yes, Jesus offers resurrection. That is exactly what we're celebrating together today. But he also says that before we can find our lives, we have to lose them. Before we can experience a resurrection, we have to experience a crucifixion. Every single one of us, all of us are dying to live. And what Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter 16 is that by dying, to our sin and to ourselves, we can live eternally with him. So this is from Matthew 16, read together verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Before we can live, we have to die. Before we can have a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. And what we see in these first couple of verses is that following Jesus will cost us our lives. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. Following Jesus will cost us our lives. Understand the first century Jewish culture, the Jewish people had very big ambitions for their Messiah. They were expecting someone who was going to come and lead a political revolution against Rome. Many were expecting a military conquest that would restore the nation of Israel to a place of global prominence. And during this time, the cross was a universal symbol of death. The cross was an instrument of torture that was designed by professional executioners. 
And its purpose was to inflict the greatest amount of pain imaginable upon its victims. The Romans saw the cross as a symbol of domination. It was a powerful reminder of the consequences of what would happen if you rebelled against the empire. The Greeks saw the cross as a symbol of humiliation. Victims of the cross were stripped completely naked and they were completely defenseless against violent mobs that would pass them by and abuse them. The Jewish law saw the cross as a sign of condemnation. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, the Old Testament law stated that anyone who was hanged on a tree was considered cursed by God. So across every culture during this time in the first century, the cross was seen as repulsive. It wasn't a pretty piece of jewelry that people wore around their necks. It was the ultimate symbol of domination, humiliation, and condemnation. Their understanding and their expectation for their Messiah in coming in was that the Messiah would be somebody who said, He was coming to take the cross down, and yet here is Jesus the Messiah, not saying, I've come to take the cross down, but calling his followers to take the cross up. You know, in the passage just before this one, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be crucified, and Peter, who was the lead disciple among the disciples, actually pulls Jesus to the side, and he rebukes him for this. He pulls Jesus to the side and rebukes him. He says, far be it from you, Lord, that you're going to to go to the cross. And in return, Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, Peter, you, you have your mind set on the things of man, not on the things of God. And he's showing them that it was necessary for him to suffer and die on their behalf. In rebuking Peter, Jesus actually calls him Satan. He saw him as a hindrance that was keeping him from going to the cross. And you know, it'd be really easy for you and I to look down on Peter in that moment, to look down on him for having the audacity to rebuke Jesus for going to the cross. But I think if we're being completely honest, our natural response to the idea of being crucified is not going to be a positive one. Our natural response to the cross is to go against it. It's going to go against crucifixion. But Jesus shows us in Matthew 16 that following him is costly. In the same way that crucifixion would come before resurrection for him, this is going to be the same case for all who desire to follow him. And understand this morning, this does not mean that every single follower of Jesus Christ is going to die physically a martyr's death. And it definitely doesn't mean that we as followers of Jesus should go to the extremes, the radical, unhealthy extremes that some have gone through through the centuries of, of actually pursuing martyrdom or glorifying martyrdom. But even if we don't physically die following Jesus, following him will still cost us our lives. It will still be costly, and to follow Jesus Christ, there is a death that anyone who wants to follow him must themselves die. Jesus shows us in verse 24 that we must die to self. If we're going to follow him, we have to die to self. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself and take up his cross. This is the language of death. Our culture today is suffering from an epidemic of self-addiction. You see it everywhere you look. It's every commercial, it's TikTok, it's Instagram, it's billboards. The messaging of our day overwhelmingly, either implicitly or explicitly, is this. Be yourself. Explore yourself. Indulge yourself. Embrace yourself. Celebrate yourself. Express yourself. Love yourself. Defend yourself. Discover yourself. Many of these messages have even influenced the church and the message of the church today. And yet here is Jesus Christ saying at the foundation of what it means to follow him, deny yourself. Deny yourself. This word Jesus uses for deny means to claim no knowledge or relationship to. It's the same word that Peter would use in Matthew chapter 26 when he denies knowing Jesus three times after Jesus is arrested. 
You know, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, we're going back to the 1900s here for a second. Uh, one of my favorite movies as a kid was the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise. Who's all in on the Mission Impossible movies? I'm just curious. So new one's coming out this summer. And so what Emily and I have been doing for the last several weekends is we, we were watching like all the older Mission Impossible movies to get ready for the one this summer. And, and these movies are like equal parts fun and ridiculous, right? I mean, just, just poor Tom Cruise. You know, he was younger than me when he started making these movies. And the brother's stunts just keep getting bigger and bigger with every single movie. It's pretty impressive. And, and so, you know, the, the movies are ridiculous, right? It's pretty much the same story over and over again. And, and that line after the IMF receives their impossible mission for that movie that, that Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, is always warned of is this. It says, as always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Then what happens to the message? Self-destructs, right? So basically what they're saying is, hey, listen, you get caught, you get killed, we're going to pretend like we don't even know who you are. We'll totally disavow any knowledge of anything that you were doing. We'll say that you were rogue. We'll actually, we'll actually throw you under the bus if, if you get caught because of any of the things that you're doing. And, and this is the idea that's in mind with denying ourselves. To deny ourselves means to disavow ourselves. It is to claim no knowledge or relationship to ourselves. We deny ourselves. We disavow ourselves. Joining Jesus on his mission means that we must completely disavow any knowledge of our old selves. John Stott has said in his book, The Cross of Christ, self-denial is not denying to ourselves luxuries such as chocolates, cakes, cigarettes, and cocktails, although it might include this. It is actually denying or disowning ourselves, renouncing our supposed right. Everybody say right. We're all about our rights, aren't we? Renouncing our supposed right to go our own way. This is the complete opposite of the message of our world. Students, teenagers, this is the complete opposite of the message that, that's just being screamed at you on TikTok and Instagram right now. Our culture is suffering from a major crisis of identity, and it is having devastating effects across the board. And this is, this is really hard to debate it's so clear, and when you look at the numbers related to anxiety and depression, it is abundantly obvious how devastating the effects are in our culture in this moment. Today, in the message that we're hearing over and over and over that's being screamed at the top of the cultural lungs is that your true self can be found in your personality. It can be found in your sexuality. It can be found in your nationality. It can be found in your ethnicity. It can be found in your family identity. It can be found in your social status. And the world is screaming at you, define yourself by these things. This is who you are. Draw those lines. Define yourself by these things. And here's Jesus saying, no, 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 no. You deny all of that. To, to follow Jesus Christ means to completely disavow any knowledge of ourselves to completely disavow the old self in every capacity. It's the opposite message of the world. The world says defend yourself, Jesus says disavow yourself. The world says discover yourself, Jesus says disown yourself. The world says define yourself, Jesus says no, 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 deny yourself. To follow Christ, we have to die to ourselves. But not only do we have to die to self, to follow Christ means also that we must die to sin. We deny ourselves and we die to our sin. It's the language of death. If anyone, if you desire resurrection, these are the terms. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Friends, understand God has created you. 
God has created you in his image to experience the intimacy of a loving relationship with him. This is what he desires for you. This is what he wants for you. And sin completely robs us of this identity. The message of our culture today, it is heavy on self-indulgence and it's very, very low on self-control. We're a culture without restraint. If, it, if, it, if it's something that you want, you just go buy it. If it feels right, you do it. If it sounds good, then it must be true. And if it makes me uncomfortable, then it must be false. That this is the messaging of our world today. All of us are born with a sin nature that is naturally hostile to God. We are born naturally opposing God. We are born with a natural disposition to go against him. So our default state as sinners is not righteousness, it's rebellion. We're not born naturally good, we are born spiritually dead. And to find life in Jesus Christ, you and I have to die to our spiritually dead state. Our death to sin has to, is necessary in order for us to die to the dead state of our spiritual lostness. Like Peter trying to keep Jesus from the cross, sin tries to keep us from denying ourselves. And it just feels natural. It, feel, it feels so unnatural to us to, to deny ourselves. It feels natural just to indulge every facet of our personality. It feels natural to just indulge whatever sexual desires we have. It feels natural to seek glory and to seek pleasure for ourselves. But Christ calls us to die to all of these things. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11, the apostle Paul says it like this. He says, for if. Everybody say if. So this is conditional. If. If you desire resurrection, this is the condition according to the Apostle Paul. He says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so we are not united with Christ in resurrection if we have not also been united with Christ in, in crucifixion. If we desire to be united with him in life, we also have to be united with him in death. And listen to the language that Paul uses. Verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Church, this is the paradox and the promise of the gospel. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. If you want a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. But please hear my heart in this this morning because I love you. Jesus and following him, following Jesus, man, it is not a new outfit and brunch one day a year. We're not Christians because we go to church on, on Easter. We're not Christians because we go to church every Sunday. Or because you check every religious box, because you, you read your Bible every single day, and you pray every single day, and you give generously. Well, we're not Christians because of any of these things. Jesus is not after your occasional or even your consistent performance. He is after everything that you are. He is after the unconditional surrender of everything that we are. It requires disavowing ourselves, disowning ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our crosses, and following him. If you want a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. Jesus goes on to say in verses 26 through 28, he asks this question, a question we should all ask ourselves this morning. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So following Jesus will cost us our lives. It might not be a physical death, but every person who desires to follow Jesus Christ, every person who desires resurrection has to go through crucifixion. And even if it's not a physical death, it's still going to be a death. We have to die to our sin. We have to die to ourselves. So absolutely, no matter what, following Jesus will cost us our lives. But here's the warning from Jesus in verses 26 through 28. While following him will cost us our lives, gaining the world will cost us our souls. Church, here's the reality for all of us this morning. Even if you don't follow Jesus, you're still going to lose your life one day. That's guaranteed across the board. Even if we don't die as martyrs, following Jesus will still cost us our lives. But friends, here's the reality. We're going to die no matter what. So listen, like if you're you're with us today and you're you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, number one, I'm so glad that you're here. Man, that's such an honor to us knowing that you might even have some pretty significant disagreements with us. But the fact that you're you're willing to be here today and you're willing to listen and and to spend time with family, I, I have so much respect for that and so appreciate you being here. And so, man, even if you disagree with, like, everything else that I have to say today, like, you, you disagree with everything we're reading in Scripture, you disagree with the things I'm preaching this morning, the one thing we should all be able to agree on is we're all going to die one day. Like, statistically across the board, 100% of people are going to die in this room. That's not like an internet made-up fact. That's, that's dead-on accurate, right? We're all going to die. Death and taxes are due six days from now. That's, all, that's, that's permanent fixed reality, right? That's your reminder. Your taxes are due this, this coming weekend. You should, TurboTax when you get home if you need to. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And so, so if you're not a follower of Jesus, this would be my only request of you this morning. Would, would you maybe just for the next 15, 20 minutes, open your mind to the possibility that maybe this is true. We're all going to die. You, you owe that to yourself to at least consider the possibility that maybe this is true and to listen to the question that Jesus asks you today. What does it profit you If you gain this entire world, but you lose your soul, what does it profit you to gain the whole world, but lose your soul in the end? What does it profit you if you make all the money that you could ever want to make and and live in the best house that money can buy and drive the best cars and pull the biggest boat and have the biggest 401k and have a beautiful family? What does it matter if you get all of that in this life, but you lose your life for eternity in the next What's it profit you to do these things? What do you actually profit if you retire with a fat 401k, but in the end you stand spiritually bankrupt before God? What do you profit if you spend your life maximizing your human potential, exploring every nuance of your personality, fulfilling every sexual desire that you could imagine? What does it matter if you get all of that, but you lose your soul in the end? Friend, whether God is real or not, you're not taking any of that with you to the grave. Would you consider the possibility that maybe this is true and to listen to the question that Jesus asks you today, what's it profit you if you gain this whole world, but in the end you lose your soul? We're guaranteed to lose our souls. We're guaranteed to lose our lives, excuse me, but Jesus shows us here in these verses is we don't have to lose our souls. We're losing our life no matter what, but we don't have to lose our soul. That's the plea from Jesus in these verses. He warns in verse 27, the day will come, we will all be called to account 
Every person will give account for their life. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. It was a prophetic title, and it was his favorite self-designation. It's the name he uses to refer to himself more than any other name in the gospel accounts. And, and it was a kingly title. The Son of Man in Old Testament prophecy was one who was the king above all kings, the one who was the Lord above all lords, the one whose, whose authority and whose power exceeded everyone else's authority and power. And he shows that he's coming with his angels in the glory of his Father to repay every person according to what they have done. Now understand this morning, this is not Jesus saying that you can be saved by good works, because Scripture is clear that we can absolutely not be saved by good works. The only way that we can be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. We hear things like this, and, and when we consider eternity and life in the next and, and heaven, you know, the, the knee-jerk response is always that I'm a good person. But friend, understand God's standard is not for you to be good. His standard is for you to be perfect. And the only person who has ever met that standard is his son, Jesus Christ, which means the only way we can be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ, not through faith in anything that you or I could do. When Jesus asked this question, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Understand, it's a rhetorical question because the answer is nothing. There's absolutely nothing you can give in exchange for your soul. You will not stand before God on the judgment day and barter and try to trade for your life. None of it will do. It will only be those who can point to the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ as their justification, as their merit for standing before God, not of anything that we have done, but only what Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus reminds us that judgment is certain, and the day will come when we will give account. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. He says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So while the day will come that we will all be called to account, we also see in these verses the day will come when Jesus Christ will come again. He says in verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father. That day's coming. In verse 28, he even told his own disciples, he said, some of you here standing will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now our time together is short this morning, and so I don't have total time to unpack every nuance of this. But this promise that Jesus makes in verse 28 would be fulfilled in several different ways over the next few decades. But it's most quickly fulfilled in the verses that immediately follow. If you go read Matthew chapter 17, at the beginning of that chapter, you'll see an event known as the Transfiguration. Jesus ascends up a mountainside with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And the disciples heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that moment, Matthew 17, 2 said that the face of Jesus shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. That's a fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen in Matthew 16, 28. He promised that his disciples would see him coming in his kingdom, that some of them would see this, and they did. And in the same way that these words became true for his disciples, they will be true for us. In the same way that Jesus promised his disciples they would see his glory, he has also promised that the day is going to come where the clouds are going to tear open and we're going to see him in his glory. Church, understand, as we celebrate the empty tomb this weekend, the empty tomb of Jesus and, and resurrection weekend, it's not just about Jesus dying on the cross and Jesus coming out of the grave. The gospel message is not just that Christ has died and that Christ has risen. The empty tomb, friends, means that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming for us. He's coming to, to raise us eternally from our, our state of, of death and raising us eternally into spiritual life, united with him. 
He rose from the grave because he's coming again. And the question today is not a question of whether or not he's coming. The question is whether or not he's coming for you. It's not a question of whether or not he's coming. It's a question of whether or not he's coming for you. He is coming again to do this work of resurrection, but only for those who have gone through crucifixion. If you want to be united with Christ in life, you also have to be united with Christ in death. So how do we respond to these things this morning? What do do we do with the words of Jesus? Well, I think it's pretty simple. The way we respond is by doing what Jesus calls those listening to him to do. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are the terms. Everybody wants resurrection, right? Everybody wants resurrection. Everybody wants eternal life with Jesus. Everybody wants resurrection, but far fewer are willing to go through crucifixion. But Jesus says those are the terms. If you want to be united with him in life, you have to be united with him in death. And so our response is simple. It's to do what he calls us to do, anyone who wants to come after him. So it means first that we deny ourselves. Jesus calls you today, deny yourself, disown your old identity, and discover your true identity in him. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Calls us to die to ourselves. We have to die to our spiritually dead state because sin leaves us spiritually dead. And this is what Jesus made possible through his own crucifixion. Because Jesus endured the cross and walked out of the grave, it means that Christ has put death to death. That is what we rejoice in today. That's what we celebrate today. And what this means for us Because Christ has overcome sin, because Christ has overcome death, there is no sinful desire, there's no power of sin in your life that is greater than the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. And unfortunately, this has been the messaging in many churches today, is that you're just kind of helplessly resigned to your sinful desires. It's probably how you're always going to be. Jesus walked out of the grave. The empty tomb means there is absolutely nothing impossible. There's nothing too difficult for God to overcome. Because Jesus walked out of the grave, you are not just free from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. You are also free from the power of sin now in your life. There's no desire. There's no impulse. There's nothing you can experience that's greater than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So die to your sin. Jesus calls you today, die to your sin, die to your natural impulses. You die to your personality, die to your sexuality, die to your ethnicity, die to your nationality, die to all of the things that the world is screaming at you to define yourself by and be, de- be defined by him by denying yourself and taking up your cross. Third, Jesus calls us to devote ourselves. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Listen, hear my heart on this this morning. I, I recognize There's a lot of bad press about the church today, and some of it is well warranted. Man, there's been abuse, there has been scandal, there have been corruption, and you probably have some pretty good objections that I I would probably agree with you in most of your objections. And so so listen, you want to pin that on me? You want to pin that on our church this morning? I I can handle that. But this is all I'm asking you to consider today. Would you consider and listen to the words of this man, Jesus Christ, and understand The call to follow him, it is not a call to to follow an institution. It's not a call to follow any pastor like me. It's a call to follow him. It's a call to follow Jesus. Whatever your objections are about the church and the institution of the church and the corruption of the church, I just ask you this morning, what does that have to do with Jesus? Will you take him at 
his word and devote yourself to him. We deny ourselves. We die to ourselves. We devote ourselves following him. Two weeks ago, uh, a woman who was deeply confused about her identity walked into Covenant Christian School in Nashville, Tennessee, and she murdered six innocent children and adults. She had bought the lie that she could discover her true identity on her own and that she could find her true self by trying to be someone other than who God had created her to be. She spent her adult lives trying to, life trying to find herself, and in the end, ultimately, she lost herself. And what Jesus shows us today is that true peace does not come from discovering yourself. It comes from denying yourself. And that until you deny yourself, you won't discover your true self. You know, last week, the church that's connected to the school gathered in a different facility while theirs remained closed. And not only was the worship gathering last week filled to capacity, the tone of the people was triumphant. What did the people of this church, what did they gather together and sing following a week of devastating loss and grief where friends and loved ones and sons and daughters were unjustly put to death? What did they gather together and sing? They closed their service that day with the same song that we close our service with every single week. And they sang triumphantly at the top of their lungs, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And how do people sing like that at the end of devastating loss? They can sing that way, friends, because that's what resurrection people do. We are not people who have been conquered by death. We are people who have faith in the one who already conquered death. We have faith in the one who put death to death. And so, yes, we mourn, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope. We rejoice and we celebrate the one who has overcome and triumphed over the grave. You know, just a few weeks earlier on March 5th, their pastor, uh, Chad Scruggs, who lost his daughter in this attack, just a few weeks before, he preached a message from John 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And the title of that passage was Death's Conqueror because that's who Jesus is. He's the one who overcomes the grave. And these were his closing words that day. This is what he had to say. He said, if you are doubting his love for you, if you are doubting his authority in the midst of sadness and confusion, let the cross speak to you again. Look there so that you might say confidently, see how he loves me. This is the one man given for me. Friends, that's the me that's calling you to follow him. It's the one who gave himself for you. We deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus because Jesus denied himself and took up his. The one who calls us to give everything to him is the one who has already given everything for us. And so here's the bottom line today. Here's the bottom line for all of us today. Jesus loves you. Oh, he loves you. God created you. The heavenly father created you to be in relationship with him. He loves you so much that Jesus gave up his life for you and he died for you on a cross so that you could call on his name in faith, believe in his perfect work and be saved and repent from your sins and find new life in him. That is his love for you. Jesus died for you, but here are the terms. You want resurrection, you've got to die for him. You've got to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow Christ. If you want to deny yourself, if you want to discover yourself, you have to deny yourself. If you want to find your life, you have to take up your cross. If you want a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. Do not listen to this world. You will not find resurrection by following your heart. You're going to find it by following him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, and be confident in knowing that on the other side of your crucifixion, you will find your resurrection. So, Father, we rejoice in the reality of the empty tomb today.
We rejoice in the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to this table this morning, we thank you and we remember what it is that he's done for us. His broken body, his shed blood, so that we could receive eternal life by faith in him and be saved. We thank you for this gift today. And we worship you in response.